Now, every day is a learning day right here in studio with us, and today is no different. Now, when I say the word KEMSA, or uh, the acronym KEMSA, for example, what do you think of, Brady? Uh, I think of medical supplies. Rubber gloves. Uh, rubber so gloves. rubber gloves yeah, with yeah, this yeah. guy? Always. Uh, scrubs. Yeah. 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 yeah um, but but I but I also think of an organization that's had uh, its good and bad days in in the world of the, of the press uh, over the years. I think of like how difficult is it to organize and keep <laughs> keep a record of all of the things that the country needs at all at any one time. Of course, we are not the experts in this area. We have the expert right here with us. Can we please welcome Ms. Ms. Terry Ramadani. Good morning to you and thank you so much for joining us at Capital FM. Good morning. I'm yeah. honored to be here. Hey, what a voice. Are you coming to take our job <laughs> yeah, or you just I'm, got I'm a job? I'm getting a bit worried. She, yeah, you can just do chill. anything. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Tone down that, that beautiful voice a little bit, um, please. Yeah. Um, um, I already have a job and it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. I'm not giving up my tough job for your fun job. Yeah, yet. fair enough. That's I, I do fun. have to ask though, like what on earth? Mm-hmm. What on earth? How are you still smiling? It's got to be the hardest thing to oversee Kemsa mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and make sure that everything is tickety-boo, as they like to say, just going with yeah. the flow. How, as you as a person, Terry, yeah. can we start there? Yeah. How do you deal mm-hmm. with stress, mm-hmm. everyday stress that comes with such a, such a high-powered position as CEO of Kemsa? Um, wow, that's a really big question. Um, I think, you know, um, being able, you know, to just find some things that you do that um, put you in a different space, you know. So I do like some music, you know, I listen oh. to music. Um, I do like hanging out with, you know, friends that are close and dear, where you can talk about very other different things other than work, you know, so that you can depressurize, you know, you can uh, distress, you know. Uh, but the truth is, I think I also find very challenging jobs quite um, quite rewarding, you know, because you can feel the reason, you can see the impact and you know the reason for the pressure. But if, if we talk about challenging jobs, right, I mean, this is probably, you know, I mean, I don't know what you're going to tell us a little about your your career history in a moment. Right. But. And do take us through that, please. But, yeah. I mean, is this the most challenging role you've faced so far? Oh, absolutely. Right. 100%. What, what came before this? Um, well, actually, the other role I can compare to this is being a mother to three children. <laughs> okay, fine. So, yes, <laughs> challenging. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Right. And then combining those two, oh, yeah, you right. know. Um, well, I've had a long career. I'm different things, you know. I'm a teacher. That's what I was first trained at. Happy World Teacher Day! Yes, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Okay. And then I went to business school, nice. you know, and I studied about businesses and I studied about transformational leadership, particularly in HR subjects. And so I fancy myself a little bit as an expert of change. So right. I would like to call myself a bit of a change maker because, right. uh, believe it or not, imagine I am that person who's obsessed with thinking about. Um, do you know when you go to? I don't know if you went to any of the public schools in Kenya. You know, maybe not. I don't know. But for those of us who went to public schools in Kenya, if you went to the bathrooms, you would find people have scribbled with chalk and saying, Charles was here. (laughs) W-O-Z. Yes, was here. So, you know, I think it's important, you know, for posterity one to think, what will be the little mark, you know, that I leave behind, you know. So this for me is that bit, you know, that yes, it is very tough. But if only we can even get 50% of it to work the amazing impact, you know. I often speak to a lot of people and I say, you know, there are many people who have not had to spend a day 
without, you know, sleep without food. Mm. There are many people who have never had to sleep without a roof over their head. But I'm yet to meet even the triple trillionaires, you know, who have not been sick, mm. you know. So imagine that, mm. that if we even just got 50% of it to work, the impact, you know, that it would have in our country. And, and, and I guess, it, you know, on that on that note, we talk about, you know, we'll talk about COVID as well. I mean, mm-hmm. because obviously Kemsa was in the spotlight a lot during mm-hmm. COVID, mm-hmm. but COVID was the great leveler of, of, yeah. of demographics, Absolutely. right? I mean, it didn't matter if you were rich or Absolutely. poor. If you got COVID, you got COVID. It Absolutely. was not a disease for any particular demographic. And yeah. this is kind of what you're saying, really. Yeah, yeah Farid, and we, and we must not let those lessons go away, you know, because I think that was a beautiful crisis that we could not you know, let go to waste. And it came right at the time, you know, we're fortunate enough or perhaps, I don't know whether it's fortune or or, or perhaps it's just how things work uh, because that's when, you know, I came into the board as a new board member of, you know, the post-COVID to come and then figure out how the institution was going to rebuild, you know, after that, that major crisis. And I remember, you know, speaking to my board members and saying, you know, this COVID thing, yes, it's hanging over our heads, but the way I see it is that it's a wonderful crisis that we cannot let go to waste. Let this be the turning point that this institution can actually turn itself around and do what it was mandated to do by law. And so that has been the journey. You know, I was on the board for um, almost a year. And then when the CEO job was advertised, I resigned from the board and and applied for the CEO's job. Um, now, many people ask why, you know, I was in private sector, you know, having a nice job where I didn't have to come to interviews and people to ask me, <laughs> what do you do? You know, I was very, you know, nice in the corner doing my thing, you know, not having to worry about what people think about me, mm. not having to worry about what gutter press or anybody mm. else will write about me, you know. Um, and then I was looking at all the work that we had done in the board, you know, because the more we got involved and the more deep dives we did, the more you sort of feel like, oh my God, these are things we can actually start to solve if only we have um, the resolve to do it, you know, the political support, uh, the people's support, you know, the stakeholders' support. This is not something that's not doable. It is hard. It is long term, you know, the commitment is not something that you get involved for a day and check out, you know, in a, in a month. This is something we have to build block by block, step by step, mm. because that's what sustainable success is. You know, it's not the overnight thing. There is no silver bullet. You know, you have to actually work block by block. Let's talk a little bit about uh, so the Kenya Medical Supplies Authority. There mm. was a little, a, a lot of gutter press, a lot of reports, mm-hmm. a lot of complaints, mm-hmm. a lot of reports of con- uh, corruption as well. Yeah. So Terry, as as CEO, mm-hmm. what percentage do you, you, you talk about if we got this 50% working, what percentage do you think you're succeeding at? Not mm-hmm. you personally, mm-hmm. but as Kemsa right now. And mm-hmm. how are you going to increase that as the years go on? So perhaps, you know, um, I like statistics. You know, numbers don't lie. When we came on board as um, the new board last year, we have something we call the order fill rate. Now, the order fill rate basically means that in every 100 items that you order, how many of them are we able to supply? And when we came on board last year, we we're only able to do one eight, eighteen. Of 100 items. Okay. Wow. So we had an order fill rate of 18%. And why? Well, many reasons. You know, we were just right 
starting to come out of the COVID crisis. So many things had happened during that COVID time. A lot of procurement had stalled. You know, we couldn't continue because of various, you know, um, interstate, you know, interagency kind of um, uh, directions Politics. and instructions, you know, in terms of how that whole um, crisis was evolving. Um, and the global standards, you know, for order fill rate is above 90 to 95%. You know, it's difficult to have 100%, but at least 90%, because the thing is, um, that patient who's waiting for that commodity, wherever they may be, it's not a need that you can then inventory and say, you know what, I'll be sick next week. This week, the medicines mm. haven't come yet. Mm. So just hold on a minute. Chill, chill. You know, I'll be sick next week is the, the right time. Mm. No, you're sick when you're sick. You know, so those commodities must be there, you know, when people need them. So having an 18% order fill rate is deplorable. So right now, our order fill rate is approaching 65%. That's from late last year, actually. February this wow. year. So that, I mean, that's a huge wow. turnaround. It is. It's a massive turnaround. It is. I mean, you've gone and, from and, failing to at least a C. You and, know what and, I mean? Exactly. Yeah. And every day, the single most conversation, the single conversation that is happening through the whole institution is how is the order fill rate going to get to where it needs to get? And our target is to get it to at least 70% before the end of the year. Yeah. Sorry. And we are hoping that by March of next year, we'll be then back to the 80s, you know, which will be excellent. You right. know, we have other parameters like the order turnaround time. Believe it or not, when we joined in as the board, the average order turnaround time was 46 days. Oof. 46 days. That's ridiculous, right? Yeah, but there was one case of 340 something odd days that nope. we took to deliver. What would the global standard be? Within Kenya. 340-something right. days. Yeah. You know? Did people just not reply to the I emails? I mean, that's a year. Like, what was going on? <laughs> that's Did someone die? What would be the global standard for The global standard for order turnaround days, yeah. and this is what we have set for ourselves, is something we are calling 157. One day for critical items. Five days to hospitals. Seven days to primary health facilities. Those, pri- those very little Camp facilities. Center. It's important to remember, you know, Farid and Davina, that CAMSA delivers to last mile. Mm. That very little facility in the middle of wherever. Our mandate is to deliver there. Not deliver to the major hospital mm. in, the, in the county and then the county. No, to that very last facility. So just yesterday, no, the day before, when Makweni and the governor was actually asking that question. So Will these go all the way? It said, yes. These trucks and the drivers will be in Makweni for the next seven to ten days, ensuring that those products go to the very last mile. Hmm. Part of the, some of the places that we deliver to, the commodities will be on a truck, they will get to the shores, they will be put on a boat, and then the boat will cross over and it will be put on a donkey. Uh -uh. (laughs) And then the last bit, because the the, the paths are too narrow to navigate, somebody will have them on Mm. their back. You have to trust so many people and so so many things in that. So we're talking about an an informal network (laughs) to complete a formal uh, system, you which must. is quite difficult. Yes, you must. For and, some and, and cases, other yes. countries probably don't have these logistical challenges. Uh, no, right. perhaps not. But even if we didn't have the parts where you have to use the donkey and the human and whatever, it is still not, you know, a mean feat to get these commodities 100%. to the very, very small facilities. Yeah. And that is Kemsa's mandate. Right. And, know, and, and, and let me ask you before, be, before we go, sorry, before we go mm. to a, a, a mm. break, mm. you know, you, you probably walked into Kemsa when you 
first day take us back first day at the office kind of thing you know okay. and asking for okay give me all these things of how <laughs> things work etc etc yeah i mean you must have been looking at it going how am i gonna sort this out like because it doesn't sound like i mean 18 percent 300 days or so 340 days to get medicine delivered etc mm-hmm. surely at some point you were like is this or are you one of these people that's like i can do anything because i mean you have to look at it at some point and say am i able to really turn this around because it can't be easy well um to be honest you know i think uh having been uh, on the board, I'd had enough time to process the challenges. So by the time I was actually applying for the role of CEO, I was under no illusions about what it is that I was going to find in there. But I'll tell you what my um, my former boss, you know, he's a professor, he's, he's, a, he's a brilliant man, I really loved him, um, said to me when I told him that uh, I needed his permission um, and clearance to sit on the board of Kemsa, and he said to me, wow, Terry, Every day I open a newspaper and all I see is COVID this, COVID that, cancer this, cancer that. And then there's Terry running right into it. Why? (laughs) (laughs) That is so perfect for World Teacher Day. And he was like, all right, if you must. And I remember telling him, well, I don't know, maybe I'm a sucker for pain. But hey, you know, who's going to do it? You know, if we all say, well, it's too hard, you know, it's too complicated, it's too risky, which it is, you know, because you have to think that coming from private sector where the jobs that I've had have not had the kind of, you know, scrutiny and kind of, you know, negativity because there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of resistance to actually doing the things we need to do. You know, I've never been in in a court matter. You know, now I have several in courts, you know, etc. And you're thinking, what am I doing to myself? You know, and then you think, but who will? You know, if we all step aside, then we lose the right to even challenge or ask questions about what's happening in private, in public sector because we refuse to participate. So for me, that's really what, you know, that that patriotism of, but I have no other country. This is it. You know, I'm not going to migrate to another country. This is it. So if this is it, then I need to contribute. I need to do my bit. You know, so that that's that's that was what was occupying me. I was like, okay, there's a lot to do, but let's start with the basics. So we defined, you know, it was very clear in my mind what we needed to define. We needed to define just three things that we could focus on so that everybody is clear on what we are trying to achieve. There is a lot, but you need to simplify it. You know, now my teaching thing comes in, <laughs> you know, that you need to simplify it so that people are able to actually grasp it, internalize it and then execute it. You know, so the three simple things that we defined we needed to do was one to to get operational excellence. And it's a small sentence. It's a small, you know, it's two words and sounds simple, but it's heavy Mm -hmm. because in there you have the ERPs, you know, the technological components, you have the people components, you have all the operational activities are packed in there. The second thing is customer focus. Our customers, the counties that rely on us for these medical commodities cannot you know, be put in abeyance. They will need the needs they need when they need them. You know, you can't just pack them. You can't just say, hold on, we're fixing we're fixing the, the, the boat, just chill on, on the land for a little while. You know, we have to fix our wings as we fly. And the third one is repositioning. So that wherever you walk, 
people here you work in Kemsa, you don't have to hide and feel like, oh my God, they now think I am <laughs> one of them. The number of times, you know, just even last evening I was having a meeting and somebody said, oh, can I just walk by and, and, and don't start that story. <laughs> we don't do that. We don't do that. No. <laughs> we don't do that, you know. But just getting through mm. that phase of getting the institution to be recognized and appreciated for the work that it does. Mm-hmm. Because imagine mm. if those commodities were not being put together. You know, government has worked very hard. His Excellency, the President, has pronounced himself in terms of what his view for the health sector is, what his manifesto is, how close to his heart the health sector is. And Kemsa is hugely important to that agenda because commodities, medical commodities, are 40% of the cost of health care. You know? So if this Kemsa works right, then what we are looking to do is see how to shift that 40% downwards so that the cost of healthcare becomes more accessible, mm. more affordable. And we can only do that by optimizing all our efficiencies. If you don't like it, change it. That is Terry, Terry Ramadani, the CEO of Kemsa. Get your questions to Terry in 0701-984-984. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. As we talk a little bit more about Kemsa, and I think uh, as as would be, uh, I think mandatory for this conversation. Uh, I I think it's important. Yeah. No. <laughs> okay. It's what? important. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we're just we. It's a it's a private joke. Okay. It's fine. So it's important <laughs> to understand, uh, and I think for many of our listeners, uh, because you know we we don't we don't really understand the role of Kemsa. You've explained very well what the role of Kemsa is, but maybe in the in a sentence or two, what does what is Kemsa supposed to be offering to Kenyans? Okay, um, Kemsa operates under what we call the Kemsa Act, and the Kemsa Act mandates Kemsa to do three primary things: procure, which is means buying, and then warehouse, so the storage, and then the distribution of medical commodities. So not just drugs, we also have diagnostic equipment, we have all sorts of other equipment, we also have non-pharmaceuticals, you know, your bandages, your Mm -hmm. orthopedic, your dental implants and all that. So that's what KEMSA's primary mandate is. We have other secondary functions, including, you know, supporting counties to develop their supply chain uh, facilities that are appropriate, which, you know, many of our governors have reached out for that kind of support and we are doing it. But in a nutshell, what every Kenyan should take away is that the drug that should be sitting in the public health facility nearest to you, public health facility, is bought by this machinery called Kemsa. Okay. And brought to you. And that's going to be it should be. And that is the aspiration. That's what we should be doing when we are working at best. But 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 the counterfeit drug market is because mm-hmm. we're talking of, of, of the adverse of that of obviously yeah. being a drug yeah. that is passed through the chemist yes. uh, machinery. Yes. The mm-hmm. counterfeit market that that's yeah. a, that's obviously a huge challenge as well. I mean, and not just here. This yeah. is a global problem. So the reason you know the government put Kemsa was exactly that that the commodities that go to the citizens, to every patient of this country, ought to be commodities of good standard that have been 
procured through the proper channels that are guaranteed of the quality because we have our quality control labs. We work in collaboration with KEBS. We work with collaboration with NQCL. And PPB, which is the Poisons and Pharmacy Board, does a very good job of ensuring that the counterfeit market is, is, is you know, dealt with, you know, so that the products that are going to the public health facilities are products that are guaranteed of quality. And that's what we do. We procure those products that guarantee the patient that it is of good quality. And the next thing then we try to do is that it's affordable, you mm. know, because then we are trying to uh, ride on the, on, 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 the, on the economy of scale, you know, that we are buying in bulk. So we should be able to get the pricing, you know, that is the most advantageous for the patient. Mm. Terry, as CEO of Kemsa, there is this, um, as we say, there is this, this, this perception, this public mm. perception or negative press, okay? Mm. COVID was not easy for anyone. Mm. But as Kemsa, I'm, I'm listening to all of these things that you yeah. have to do and yeah. I'm hearing, I'm hearing humans are involved. And yeah. when there are humans, there's human error. Yeah. How do you as CEO over, oversee all of these supply chains and keep those checks and balances? No, Davina, you're absolutely right. You know, and part of the biggest uh, thing that we've been trying to do is get the people reforms. Now, we've hit many, many barriers, particularly, you know, with the court systems, you know. Um, and whilst I can't talk too much about the matters that are in court, I have to say that a lot of that is characterized by resistance of people who do not want any change to happen and therefore it's unfortunate they seem to to be getting multiple bites of the same cherry uh, <laughs> and, and, and they keep us you know in abeyance and sort of holding us ransom. We're hoping that that can change at some point because at the end of the day any institution is reliant on processes people and systems. Now you're talking about systems because systems and processes are what will drive the people change. Now we have already been doing the process re-engineering and remapping exercise that came off all the various reports that was showing what was wrong with the institution from a structure organizational perspective. Now the systems is we are building an ERP. In fact, we are supposed to be piloting it from this October. We started to build it. Uh, we were picking up all the needs and all the different uh, criteria that was going to feature in the ERP from May. And we started the build in July. We've had a team dedicated of developers to develop that tool that is supposed to be fit for Kemsa so that we have end-to-end -end visibility. So that as I sit in my office processing something, I'm able to see... What is the money in the bank? What is the money that has been budgeted? Where are the approvals? Mm. You know, what commodity are we buying? Is it actually in demand or are we creating the demand and then ending up with redundant stock? You know, so that end-to-end -end visibility can only come with systems because for sure, you know, humans, every now and then, we are up to our own mischief. You know? Yeah, and, and I, I think and, it and is. we need the systems to, to get that done. And we are partnering with a lot of agencies. You know, we work with Global Fund. We work with USAID. We work with BMGF, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates. Mm -hmm. We work with um, Africa Resource Center. We work with the Ministry of Health. We work with all the other health agencies. And we have lots, masses, you know, of political uh will, you know, a lot of political support to get these changes done because Kemsa is very important, critical, you know, mm. for, for, for the healthcare system. Yeah. yeah. You, you talked a bit earlier about the, uh, you know, the, the amount of uh, pharmaceuticals and supplies we import. Yeah. Um, what, is the, what is the dream um, to have uh, the majority manufactured here? You know, 
the government has also been very clear about the need for us to push for local manufacturing. And part of the lessons that we, we've been talking about in terms of learning from the crisis of COVID is understanding how to start building our own industry so that we are reliant, you know, essentially, particularly for the most uh, basic items that we, sh- you know, we should have that. So we do have um, quite a bit of industry already in the country, but we want to encourage more because part of uh, the benefits that KEMSA can reap uh, from having manufacturing done here is progressing to what we call contract manufacturing. That this particular company is contracted to manufacture a particular item for Kemsa and does that as a priority before anything else is manufactured so that we are securing the pipeline of commodities that we need. The government has worked very hard through the Ministry of Trade and Treasury to try and get the necessary policies, the necessary uh, frameworks in place to ensure that this happens, you know. So it's a matter of coalescing all those really good uh, intentions and bringing them into action and fruition, you know. And I know that, you know, His Excellency has also pronounced himself to this. And we're looking to see how that can actually start to work better for Kemsa so that as we increase our manufacturing, then we are reducing our importation. And though it's not an easy task, and you find that a lot of the local commodities, because of the inputs that we don't have locally, will still end up coming off a little bit more expensive Mm -hmm. than the imported commodities. But it is a matter of time because as we build up the Mm -hmm. manufacturing capacity, then the economies again start to kick in and the pricing, you know, starts to also become, uh, uh, you know, lower even than importation. But we're talking, you know, 10, 15 years kind of thinking, you know, not next year kind of, uh, it's not a silver bullet, you know, it's not going to just work like that. It's something that we consistently have to work on and keep building as we are reducing what it is that we are bringing in. It's also a job creation angle as well. Of course, of course, huge job creation because I tell you, if you go to some of these manufacturers here in Kenya, you will see exactly, yes, there's mechanization, but there are parts that will never ever be done by machines, you know. The quality checks, you know, the packaging, the ensuring that whatever it is that is being put in place is put in place properly, still has to be done by hand. So there's a lot of jobs that can be created and not just menial jobs even high quality jobs you know imagine if we had an institution a company here manufacturing say sutures you know manufacturing of sutures is very expensive so it requires really good specialized skills but the money you know imagine the forex that we would be getting for from import exporting that kind of commodity is is huge you know now we talked about uh, the donkey that has to get that pack to that far, far. Apart. I'm obsessed with the donkey. But yeah. let me ask you this: Is there anything? Um, is there anything fun on the on the horizon for Kemsa? But we look at Rwanda; they use drones to yeah. deliver uh, blood to yeah. far off places. Yeah. What What do you have in vision for Kemsa? Wow! If 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 I was to share what I thought, you know, Kemsa at its best could be, I would like to imagine a facility like Amazon, Mm. you know, where all the commodities are there. They've been brought in, they've been received as we do in our warehouses. And then you have all this mechanization that people are running or bringing in products in crates that are moving and getting packaged into specific packaged and labels that, you know, set out into, into into the trucks. 
Now, is that going to happen tomorrow? No, you know, but at the very best, that's what it is. However, what we've done towards that kind of vision is our new supply chain center in Embakasi has provisions for mechanization. In fact, it's state of the art. You should come see it. I would like to. It has capacity for um, 13,000 pallets. It has capacity of seven levels of pallets. It has in pallet firefighting mechanism. It has food grade paint and racks. Um, the mat- it has an epoxy floor. It has sensors that control and see what it is that is happening where. And we've built, you know, provision to have conveyor belts that we hope to put in place, wow. you know, in the next one or two years, depending on how our funding for capital development works, so that we have that state-of-the-art facility. And now we're connecting the two warehouses. The new one sits here. The old one is on this other side. We're now linking them. And then what that means is that we have a lot more floor space for the operational activity, which is the critical, uh, the critical um, thing that drives the turnaround time. You know, because the turnaround time is about how quickly can you retrieve the products, get them sorted, packaged, and out the door they go. Out the door. And to the donkey for you. (laughs) And to the donkey, of course. Terry, as CEO of Kemsa, I I really want to see her kitchen cupboard. Can you imagine how (laughs) sexy that thing is? Labels, colors. Conveyor belts. Um, We're currently in the conversation which seems to be popping in and out of the media as journalists, you know, decide Mm. to write about it of Mm. Ebola. Uh Uh, And, you know, the... Maybe a distant threat, but a threat yeah. regardless of another pandemic. Yeah. Um, what 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 is you know what does Kemsa have uh, in place for something like when, from our learnings of COVID? Yes, right across our border. Yeah, uh, and if uh, the president of that country's son has it his way, he could be bringing it here to Nairobi. Uh, I'm just kidding. But but what do we have in place for something like this? Because this this mm. could potentially be yeah. more disastrous. Yeah, we do have the PPEs. Uh, in fact, I have to say, you know, the Ministry of Health has been at the forefront of ensuring that the task force um, that was put in place for preparedness for Ebola is working. And KEMSA has been very involved in that to make sure that uh, the specifications of the commodities needed. Because, you know, whilst we talk about PPEs, you know, there are specifications that would be different depending on what kind of outbreak you're talking about. So Ebola is very different from, you know, from from, uh, COVID in the manner that it's transmitted. And therefore, that means then that the commodities required would be different. So that's very much something that is being worked on. And we do have, you know, PPEs. Oh, great. Now, Comforting. thank you so, so much. If not, we can just go hang out in her kitchen. Yeah. I feel like it's the safest place to be. Just, and by the way, don't make the mistake other guests make and say any time to Davina because she will show up to your kitchen. That I can promise you. Um, I'll never leave. What an absolute pleasure it's been to have you in studio with us this morning, really. Um, really, truly. I mean, it's so exciting to see uh, this kind of forward thinking within the within the parastatal uh, space um, and obviously putting a friendly face on yeah. what was otherwise looked at as a, uh, what is that? kind of thing do you know what I mean it really is nice it's really 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 an honor to be here and I I, I call for continued support you know the work that we have is huge it's challenging and it requires all hands on deck you know there's no help that's too little you know we'll need all sorts of legislative support we'll need support from you know uh, judiciary to help us sort out some of the things that we have we'll need help from from the public I mean we are making changes in an institution that obviously 
is, is, is very complicated. And change, even when it is self-imposed, like I want to go to the gym, is never easy. <laughs> oh, you we know, know what I mean? Yeah? <laughs> so you can imagine when you're making change and, and people are not necessarily very excited about it mm. because you're upsetting the status quo. So yes, it's quite a challenging job. But you know, Farid, I can't go before you play the songs you promised ah, you would. You know what? The thing is, this is a gift from us to you. Terry, Terry Ramadani, thank you so much. CEO of Kenya Medical Supplies Authority. We heard from a little bird that this song chills you out and as a as a boss chick that has a very very tough job in front of her this will chill you out now 98.4 capital fm thank you so much thank you thank you thank you thank you Done so much for me, I cannot tell it all. If I had ten thousand tongues, it still wouldn't be enough. 